Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 25 of Jumpstart Your Joy with guest Christy Tennerly Spalding. She's a healer, activist, writer, and self-care mentor. She works with world-changing individuals to help them craft amazing self-care practices, and she's the author of Setting Gratitude Free and the creator of Sacred Focus. Before we get into the interview with Christy, a few updates. It was a wild prehistoric ride getting to chat with T-Rex Tuesdays last week. Thank you all so much for your comments and feedback. And as always, there were so many hilarious comments on the blog. Some of you knew T-Rex and some of you were just being introduced to them. And it was just a lot of fun to see how they rocked your world. If you haven't heard that episode or if you haven't seen the exclusive video that they made just for Jumpstart Your Joy, please head on over to the website and check it out at jumpstartyourjoy.com. In this last week, this is such a huge announcement, I've officially gone solo as an entrepreneur and left my corporate gig. So it's a celebration going on in my home office, aka the kitchen. (laughs) I'm now a full-time life coach and podcaster, and I have room for just three more clients to fill out my roster which is just mind-boggling as well. I'm so lucky and excited to get to work with so many amazing women. So as always, you can hit the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com and check out the brand new, ta-da, newly revised coaching pages for more info. Or if you just want to get a free 30-minute call with me, you can sign up for that on my site as well. There's a little there's a little button on the sidebar that you can link to. So you guys, you're in for a real treat today with this awesome interview with Christy. It really felt like we were old friends, and I loved the vibe that we had going on in this episode. She and I chat about how to bring self-care into your everyday, how to avoid burnout if you're someone who is a game changer or activist, and if you have a lot of ideas that you're working on all at the same time. We talked about what she calls sacred focus, which is Christy's awesome way of narrowing down the things that she spends time on, leading her to more joy in her life. It's just such an awesome conversation with lots of laughter. If you want to follow along, there are a full set of show notes on the site at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash Christy, and it includes links and resources on all the books that we mentioned in the interview. So head on over and check it out as you listen along. And I want you to stay tuned to the very end to get info on a special offer Christy set up just for you joy seekers. So now... On to the interview with Christy Tennerly Spalding. Today we have an interview with Christy Tennerly Spalding, and she is online at christytending.com. Welcome to the show, Christy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so glad, so glad to have you. Uh, Would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, So I'm Christy. And I'm a healer, a writer, a self-care mentor, and I'm also a climate justice activist. I live in Oakland, California, and I work with people who are trying to change the world and helping them to develop self-care practices 
that serve them and their mission in the world. Awesome. <laughs> I yeah. love it. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's so exciting. Well, what did you love most as a child or in school? What were some of your early sparks of joy? It's really fascinating to me because my early sparks of joy really mirror my current sparks of joy. So as a kid, I really loved being outside. I was an avid horseback rider. I grew up in a house where we had more pets than people. And so I loved animals and I also really loved making art. I was a ceramicist and I always really loved to draw and I loved to write. I was a little nerd um, about pretty much everything. And I think that actually mirrors a lot of what sparks joy in me now is being outside and hanging out with animals and writing and being a total dork about life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and it's cool to really kind of embrace all the different angles. I mean, it feels very much, I'm sure you know the term, but maybe the listeners don't, like kind of that multi-passionate or multi-potentialite, depends on who you're talking to, that uh, what archetype of you've got so many interests and then kind of aggregating them down into something that makes sense and, and how do you follow that? Has that been an interesting path? You know, it's, it, it, I've never known anything else. Yeah. I've always been interested in so many different things. And one of the things that I also loved as a kid was traveling with my family. And again, that continues to be a huge passion of mine is traveling and exploring. And I've never known anything else other than to be totally fascinated by a lot of different things. And it's caused some heartaches, I guess, yeah. in, in yeah. trying to follow all of those. But where I've landed now, like into my adulthood, I find it to be a strength more than a weakness. And and it's something that I really like about myself, actually. That's so interesting because I know I love Barbara Sher's work. I'm just going to throw that out there for listeners. But she's done a lot of work around what she calls, I think, um, seekers is what she or scanners, I think, um, is what she calls that. But I know for me, it took a lot because I also self-identify with that kind of a mindset. But it took really getting okay with this fact that my brain is always coming up with all these ideas and then realizing that I can follow the ones that really resonate and that I could either write down the ones that I'm not going to follow right now, but they can, they can go somewhere and I can store them and I don't have to feel overwhelmed by like maybe losing sight of them or something. I'm not sure if you have that same like kind of idea generation brain that I do. Yeah, I think multi-passionate people tend to be at least multi-passionate people who are exploring multiple passions at one time. I feel like yeah. we tend to be prolific. I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just keep a little notebook of all of the amazing, brilliant gems that I come up with. And mm-hmm. I sort of make a deal with myself that if I go back a few months later and they're still really drawing me, or if I'm writing the same thing in my notebook over and over again, yeah. then I have to follow that. But otherwise, I feel really okay letting it go. Um, yeah. And it's something that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in her book, Big Magic. At one point, she talks about having sort of this brainstorm and she goes like, go bother Barbara Kingsolver with this. Like, I don't want this one. (laughs) I loved that part of that book. hilarious image to me because I love both of them so much. (laughs) But, But it's also, I think, a really great point that not everything that's a total brainstorm for you is is something you have to follow. Right. And I think it's often kinder not to put those sorts of burdens on ourselves that like we have to track down everything that fascinates us. It's like, 
sometimes it's okay to let it go. Yes. Ooh, that was good. The idea in Big Magic is that creativity comes and kind of toys with you a little bit to see if the idea it has will take what, like, kind of nest with you. And if you'll be the one that brings this idea into the world. So you do a lot of work with with self-care. Yeah. I know you had mentioned that when you were about 12, you... um, you had a lot of pain and that that led to an eventual diagnosis, what, of scoliosis? Yeah, of scoliosis. I, it was a years of investigation. And to this day, I find bodies super, super interesting and really fascinating to kind of track down what it is that's going on internally. But after about, it was about eight years where I got my formal diagnosis of scoliosis. That seems like a long time. You know, it, again, it's one of those situations where I'm... I have the luxury now of looking back on it, but Mm -hmm. even at the time, I didn't really know anything else. Like I knew that something wasn't quite right, but I didn't know anything else. At one point, it did occur to me that maybe my peers were not in a constant state of pain the way I was, and that idea was interesting to me, but there wasn't a whole lot to do about it besides live my life. And the fact is I continued to be a competitive horseback rider and athlete and avid skier and hiker, even with my scoliosis. That's impressive. Yeah. And it's, and it's what actually inspired me to go and become a yoga teacher because it was either I had an orthopedic surgeon that was interested in fusing my spine and I wasn't interested in getting surgery. I know that spinal fusion is a super personal decision and it ends up working really beautifully for some people and it wasn't the right choice for me so instead I went and got my yoga teacher certification and became a yogi that is cool yeah well and how it's interesting then that you kind of went with within like into your body to kind of get a sense of what was going on and really listened when you were faced with those options. I mean, I'll jump in for a second. Like I had really bad migraines for a while and kind of mm. met that same point where they were like, well, you can go on daily medication that I think it was um, an off-label usage. The, the medication was meant for epilepsy. And I was like, whoa, like this, this just got real. Like wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> you want me to do what? And I'm like, um, I'm going to first investigate all the foods. I, like I'm going to go back and relook because there's something not working right here. And I figured out it was a gluten and fructose intolerance. So, but I mean, I don't mean to make it all about me, but it's just interesting when you're faced with that, like, really dire thing and how you, I love that you went in deep and went, well, let's figure out something else because maybe the holistic naturalish way is the better way here. Yeah. And again, it's, I'm not an orthopedist. I am not a doctor. So I don't want your listeners to think that I'm I'm offering yoga as the ultimate solution for scoliosis, but it ended up being the right choice for me. And I still do live with pain, but it's something that I have almost a spiritual relationship with at this point where I'm able to exist with that as part of my identity instead of the whole of who I am. And what I also knew was that that particular medical path was going to close off options to me that I was still interested in having open. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's really a beautiful what knowledge of your own self and listening to what you needed instead of just listening to what may be popular opinion. And I don't mean that I'm not making it, I'm not lessening the role of a doctor either, but like that you really went within instead of just 
making the jump to something else that didn't seem right. I think that's the, the really key thing there. So did that second opinion? Yeah. You got your own second opinion. Yeah. <laughs> that obviously that starting to get to know your own body and your own self better there. I would imagine that that has then translated into your interest in self care and helping others. How do you see that direct link or, or the, what the daisy chain of events there? Yeah, so so in college, and, and again, this kind of goes back to my love of nature, but in college, I got involved in a lot of activism and, and working on a lot of environmental issues. And one of the things that I saw, again, is that activists tend to be multi-passionate people. Mm-hmm. You get some activists who are deeply specialized in one area, but even then, they love being outdoors and going hiking and bicycle riding and all of those sorts of things. But a lot of activists get involved in multiple causes and, and see, you know, injustice and, and oppression as being this systemic thing that sort of is pervasive. And so when I got involved in activism, I saw sort of the multi-passionate thing run amok a bit, mm-hmm. for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I noticed that tendency in myself. And I think it's one of the things that leads to activist burnout is this desire to just fix the whole world and to chase down every cause, every every place where we see injustice or harm happening. We're sensitive people and so we want to go and and meet that need where there's a need. And, and the way that the scoliosis comes in is that for me, I, I'm, I'm simply physically not able to do that. To be on my feet for eight hours a day, seven days a week, or to be working as much as some people I know work in nonprofits or working for unions or whatever the activist space is, it just simply isn't something that's physically available to me. And so... I felt I felt disjointed because my mind and my heart wanted to be in those spaces and my body wasn't able to physically do it in, in working to kind of heal that rift. That's where the self-care piece came in. And I recognized that through self-care, not only was I taking care of my body in the way that it needed to be cared for, eating right, getting enough sleep, getting enough sleep is crucial for me but then also healing the kind of emotional and mental and spiritual pieces of what I was feeling looking at the world, the sense of grief and rage. And so self-care started as a way for me to, to look after myself in having scoliosis and having a chronic pain condition, but it also was meeting a lot of the other needs that I was feeling as an activist, feeling really torn and feeling kind of this emotional upheaval and really a sense of at one point in my life, pretty crispy burnout. Yeah. I like the word crispy burnout. <laughs> I've been there too. Yes. Like I wasn't, I wasn't totally burned, but I was pretty crispy at one point. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's very descriptive. I love it. Yeah. And such wisdom of knowing your own limitations, but then also knowing that internal desire to heal so that you could continue to be of service and feel really good about what you what you knew in your heart and mind, like you said, that you really wanted. And it sounds like was it was your it's your purpose. Like you want you needed to be able to follow that. But until you took care of yourself, like maybe it wasn't as possible as you wanted it to be. 
Yeah, uh-huh. and I think it's for me, it's looking at impact um, ultimately yeah. is like, am I able to make the impact that I want to make? And is that is that impact realistic? And so setting up some boundaries where I'm realistic about what it is that I want to accomplish, but then I'm giving myself the tools and I'm resourcing myself in such a way that I can actually make that happen. Yeah, that's very wise. Let's talk a little bit about what your description of self-care is in case somebody's listening and they're like, well, you're saying a lot about it, but what is it? Yeah, I think self-care is a set of practices that like I say, resource you to be able to do what it is that you want to do in the world. And that sounds vague, but I have this very staunch belief, surprise, surprise, I'm an activist, so I have staunch mm-hmm. beliefs, that that self-care is something that has to be custom and really personal, and it also needs to be something that you can feasibly apply in your life. And it has to feel kind. So I I wrote a blog post recently called The Myth of Bubble Baths. And I feel like Mm -hmm. every time people think about self-care or talk about self-care, it's in this way that's like, well, just take a bath or go on vacation. And it's like self-care is not about getting out of your everyday life. It's about what can you put into your life, whether it's good food or enough sleep or physical activity or for me, it's time with animals and time outside in the trees. What can you put into your life that leaves you feeling inspired and more whole? Yeah, and that kind of lets you maybe restore to your natural state or feel refreshed so that you can face the other stuff you really want to do. Yeah, and I think good self-care gives you a little bit of perspective, because I think sometimes we get caught in this idea that like we need to earn something or that we that self-care is something we'll give ourselves one day once we've finished being productive enough yeah. or when we've like, God forbid, when we've, you know, lost enough weight or when we've like, no, stop. <laughs> self-care <laughs> is something you you already deserve right here in your actual life. Yeah. Not something maybe that should be thought of as transactional, right? Like it just should be in the flow of it. Yeah, I think self. I think transactional is is a great way of putting it. I think it's not, you know, you're not the rat hitting the lever to get the kibble. <laughs> yeah, an actual lovely human being who is a cell in the body of the universe, and so you should treat yourself accordingly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes. Thank you for helping explain that in case people were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's oh, mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we were joking before we re- hit record that self-care might be a pair of comfortable pants. So I don't know if we want to get into that philosophy as well. But <laughs> Oh, yes. I, I, have, I have strong feelings about, you know, I don't think that self-care is necessarily indulgence. So again, it's not all bubble baths and bonbons and pedicures and all of that. Although if that is what you're up to these days, then rock on with your bad self. But <laughs> for me, self-care can be as simple as simply choosing to wear clothing or shoes or whatever it is that feels comfortable and feels like you and is properly fitting and where you're not, I fully believe the self-care and tugging up your pants cannot be coexisting at the same time. Like, 
those yes. the universe cannot permit those two things to coexist. So I love yeah. it. So, so again, and, and it's about that like personal thing. It's not about dressing in the way that you saw in the magazine. It's about choosing clothes that honor your actual body as it is. Yes. Yes. For well, yeah. And I think that's, that is so awesome because I know when we first, when that first came up, it ma- it made me think immediately of it, of the book. I think it's, is it by Con Marie or? Your... Oh, yeah. Marie Kondo. Yeah. Thank you. Careful. There's that idea of really mindfully picking out clothing that brings you joy. And like that whole thing of like that kind of that is a self-care practice. I mean, and it was amazing when we started talking about that everyone lit up. They're like, yeah, I do. I feel more like me when I'm wearing clothes that that even just on the hanger seem like they're joyful. So what kinds of challenges do activists and world changers, what do they face related to self-care that maybe is unique? Or, or maybe not so unique, but that you've seen in that population. Yeah, I think, and and it's and it's interesting. So I use the phrase "world changers." I think everybody has the capacity to change the world and to be a world changing individual. But I think people who are drawn towards making some sort of positive difference in the world, they just experience a sort of exacerbated sense of either outrage or grief. They're just we're sensitive people. We look sort of mean on CNN, but really we're, we have squishy bellies and we're very sensitive. And so seeing, seeing anything in the world that, that goes against wholeness and justice and wellness feels, it feels more intense to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for instance, I, I used to have a job where all day long I was reading about human rights violations and forest destruction. And if you do that for eight hours a day or something comparable, your psyche, your sense of wellness will be affected. And it's not, and when that's your work and, and often your life's passion, it's hard to turn that off. Even, even when you leave work, it's hard to switch that off in your brain. And so I think self-care for activists and for people who are trying to change the world, affecting any kind of change, even if it's just in their own neighborhoods, in their own communities, in their school, wherever it is, they're doing that because they feel something intensely and believe that it's possible for things to be better. And so they need more gentleness, Mm -hmm. I find. Yeah, and that's interesting because then you're really playing the edges. I I mean, I would see that those that personality type plays the edges both ways, meaning they're out there, they're really stating their beliefs, they're putting themselves out in probably a very vulnerable way mm. daily. And and some of that, I don't know, not all activism is going to be met with confrontation, but it could be. And then the other edge of really learning to be really caring and soft with yourself, that's an interesting space. You know what I mean? Like there's a paradox there in which maybe, I don't know, you're right, maybe the need is even greater for some people who are putting themselves out constantly to then say, okay, now I need to retreat within because I need to recharge. And to regain, I think one of the one of the key pieces for me is regaining that sense, getting that kind of reminder of why we do this work in the first place, mm-hmm. of kind of re-falling in love with the world and not just seeing 
kind of the ugly sides and where we've gotten to in some cases with humanity, but kind of falling in love again and either being in community or being in nature or finding creative pursuit that, that reignites that inspiration. Yeah, that's beautiful. That was really lovely. I mean, I love the falling in love with the world or re-falling in love with the world. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And I get the sense, too, that if you're, you know, someone who works at a day job in an office, I mean, this also applies, right? Like, you're probably, oh, yeah. you're probably being vulnerable. You're probably going to a meeting where somebody says something that you are not so happy about or, you know, it's trying your patience to have to do another spreadsheet, whatever it is. Like, I think um, to try and put put the what the context is, this really isn't simply for people who are out, you know, fighting for marine life. It's bring it on home because I think there's also that context of like, you're probably putting, whoever you are, you're putting yourself out there daily in ways that maybe aren't your comfort zone. So that's, that's awesome. But also think about then how that you could re recalibrate and take those steps of whether it be comfortable pants <laughs> or something else, you know, a walk in nature or whatever. But like, how does, how do you take the edge off of the hard places that you go every day? Yeah, and I think it's not necessarily that you're out fighting for marine life or chaining yourselves to trees. It could be simply the vulnerability of being a caregiver for an elderly parent or for a child and having to advocate for that person's well-being and Mm -hmm. fighting for that person's future. Yeah. Like, whatever that looks like, we all have somebody in our lives who we care about and who we want things to go well for and simply caring about other people is, is vulnerable. And I think again, to kind of go back to that transactional piece, so many of us either work in situations or experience situations where our worth is tied up with our productivity. Mm. And I think if you're in any kind of situation like that, then you need some way to recharge and, and rest that isn't tied to that productivity. That's yes. That's because beautiful. it's wearing. It is. Yeah, it totally is. Thank you. I know in your work, you also like to bring the sacred into the everyday. What does that look like for you? So again, this is one of those pieces that is super personal. And I think again, it's, it goes back to remembering and I love what you asked at the beginning, which is where were your sparks of joy when you were young? And I think this is this is part of how we answer the bringing the sacred into into the everyday question of mm-hmm. what felt like magic to you when you were a kid, and how can you pull elements of that into your life? So I have an altar in my home with tarot cards on it and some beautiful stones and also elements from nature that I've brought in. I have a mason jar full of seashells for from when my husband and I went to Argentina together. And so that is a symbol of our love of travel, the time that we've spent together. And so bringing whatever feels sacred to you, if it's your relationship, if it's a relationship with nature, if it's your animal. I joke that I have an altar on my desk because I've set out two cat beds, one for each of my 
formerly feral cats and they're asleep in their little altar spaces right now. So whatever it is that feels sacred to you, again, it goes back to that re-falling in love. And what are your sparks of joy? I think sacredness, is it can get a bad rap because it can get tied to spirituality or religion, which could be triggering for some people. But I think Mm -hmm. it goes back to simply what is it that makes you feel more connected to all that is and that makes you feel that sense of joy. I love it. Yeah. And I love that you've mentioned the triggering part because we come, you and I come from different religious backgrounds. And I don't know that that comes I mean, does it really, I don't think that it really matters. Like, <laughs> I mean, we can, that's a different show, but like, I think we're all, we're probably all under, you know, the same universe, same God, there's a lot right. of love. But, um, but I mean, I think to speak into that a little bit, especially knowing the background of a lot of people from a Christian background, but, you know, I want to give you guys the full permission to just say, I'm going to take the parts of that religion that work for me and I'm going to let go of the traditions, the rituals, the whatever, that don't, that make me feel upset or angry or whatever. Like, just go with what you love. <laughs> you know, it's the yeah. same thing. Like, if there's pieces that were meaningful about any religion for for a listener that, like, you really want to pull that through into your everyday because there was a connection, then that's, yeah, that's the sacred. That's your sacred. So I love what you've said about that, too, and that it that it pulls in, you know, it could be, it could be nature, it could be your pets, it could be, I, I also have seashells all over my house from trips, like, because there's a connection and it reminds me of who I am as a fuller person. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit from either your background or how you've seen it play out in people's lives. I mean, I, I grew up in a very agnostic household. We celebrated Christmas, but it was really more a chance for us to all be together and eat food. Mm-hmm. Um, being together and eating food is the way that my family like celebrates sacredness. That's how, that's how sacredness manifests in, in the house in which I grew up. And my husband and I are not of the same faith background either. So I think it's really about what works for you, what feels resonant. And, you know, my husband, who's, I'm a Buddhist and I also practice an earth-based spirituality that I really think that everything is sacred. And and even coming into the room where the altar is, my husband's like, this feels better. Mm. And and so I think it's about what feels resonant, what feels like it's personally working for you. And I'm not enough of an expert (laughs) that I'm going to start telling anybody else how to work (laughs) their spirituality. Um, And and it goes back to the self-care is like what feels right for you and and what feels possible. Yeah, and taking inspiration where it hits. I mean, because that's really the beauty of us all being individuals is that, and maybe that's why some organized religion feels icky or cringy to some folks. Is, I mean, it's really, it was meant for the masses. So if that's not it, go with whatever your heart is feeling. Because there's, I would argue, most people feel a connection to the universe in some way. And so whatever that is, it could play out. And and I think if it's if it's in the universe, like if it's in the world, it is available to you. Yeah. And making the connection to source or whatever you want to call it and then reminding yourself and like you said, I love your phrase of refalling in love with it. Like you are also working on something you call sacred focus. What is that and what does the phrase mean to you? So sacred focus is one of my many bolts of brain lightning that came to me. 
almost a year and a half ago now where I was feeling despite being a yoga practitioner and having a meditation practice and eating well and yes, even being a taker of bubble baths was feeling again, kind of crispy and really wanted to get to the heart of why that was. And it brings together a lot of pieces, which is in part, you know, my scoliosis and the physical limitations that I'm working with in this life and a strong introverted tendency on my part, as well as just like looking at what the impact was that I was making. And what I realized was that I was spread way too thin, that I had taken on way too much. And while all of it was very wonderful, I couldn't do it all well. So I was doing sort of none of it well. (laughs) And I really wanted to get back to a place where I felt that what was on my calendar and the commitments that I made in my life felt sacred to me. It felt like holy work. Even if it was work, it felt like holy work to me. And that meant narrowing down my focus a little bit. Yeah. And one of the books on multi-passionate people that I found really helpful is a book called The Renaissance Soul. And hopefully you can link to it because it's wonderful. And Sacred Focus in part came out of my own personal journey of paring down and doing less and taking on less and really an effort to do everything in my life with great care and with this sense of sacredness. Love it. And, (laughs) and, and so that, that led to a 2015 with a lot of big changes and a lot of paring down and a lot of getting really honest with myself about what could stay and what needed to go. Then it made its way into an e-course, which I'm in the middle of teaching right now and that will be opening back up for registration in May But I basically take folks through what has been my process in not only finding what your sacred focus is, what the pieces of your life are that are holy Mm -hmm. and precious and inspire you and light you up and are in what I call your like particular zone of genius, the places where you can make the biggest impact. Um, But looking at just de-overwhelming your life in general and making space for self-care and for inspiration and for pleasure and joy and ease. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sacred Focus has been a great labor of love and it's something that I'm now just very excited to share out into the world. It's It's a synthesis of a lot, but it but it takes a lot of the pieces that I've been following and, and also puts them through the kind of self-care and sacred lens. And what has it been like teaching that course? It's been wonderful. It's been, <laughs> yeah. it's been surprisingly emotional. And, oh, yeah. um, and I've actually been running through the curriculum alongside, like at the same time as I'm putting it out into the world. But it's been a beautiful process and you know, not to toot my own horn, but every every single time I like send out the email with the workbook to my students, I'm like, oh man, this is good stuff. <laughs> yes, it's, that's it's, awesome. It's me creating what I wish I'd had two years ago and mm. offering that out to people, and it lights me up to be able to talk about these things. 
and to be able to cover really a lot of ground in six weeks. So it's it's a pretty big joy. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's a thank you. Isn't that funny? Because it totally goes meta on you quickly where it's like it's sacred focus for those that join you. But it's clear that it's also a sacred focus for you. And so that's, that's just great to see that like you found it and now you can bring it out to the world, too. That's awesome. Yeah. And in and in teaching it, I really have to walk my talk. And, and practice what I preach. I find myself being drawn to sign up for things. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I can't do that because I'm because yeah. I'm modeling this for my people. Yeah. So, but it's it's been great fun. If somebody's listening right now and they just want to jump over, where would they find your site or or is the Sacred Focus page right there on your your website? So you can find it through my website. Um, again, I'm at christytending.com and it should be on the courses page. The best way to find out more about it is actually to jump on my email list because then you'll be first in line for when it opens again in early May. So very cool. Yeah. I will link up to it too in the show notes if Fabulous. you're coming through on iTunes or or some somewhere else. Yeah. Let's jump into the question about some folks listening. We're in February. And I would imagine some people are having what I'm calling the resolution hangover where they had the best of intentions. They started out strong, but now, you know, it's hard and <laughs> whatever it was was a big change and, and now old habits have returned. I don't know. What would you say to someone who's like kind of down on themselves or whatever or not feeling like resolutions are possible? What's your advice on how to move forward in this year? Yeah, so I think the first piece is there's no reason to punish yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then then you're just sort of doing it to yourself twice. So I would say the very first step is give yourself a little bit of compassion and a little bit of forgiveness because we're all human and we're all just doing the best we can, including me and I'm guessing including Paula. Um, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> we're, we're all really just doing the best we can and I'm totally on your side. So that's the first thing that I just want to get out there. Yeah. And then I would say you know, especially given the title of this show, I would just say, like, jot down in your journal, like, what would actually bring you a little bit of joy right now? Like, what's the thing you could actually do today before you go to sleep tonight that would feel joyful and wonderful? And I'm guessing, because I don't know you, although I'm sure you're lovely, <laughs> that it's not becoming fluent in a language today. I'm guessing that it's not totally overhauling your eating habits or throwing out all your clothes or any of the other like really harsh New Year's resolutions that people heap on themselves. But figure out a way to be nice to yourself today and maybe think about what resolutions would feel joyful and would feel kind. What's what's actually possible for you? I love that advice or that kind of re I don't know putting a different lens on a resolution because I know I part of it for me was thinking about it this year was like so many resolutions are kind of a pronouncement of an extension of the idea that I'm not good enough whatever that is like and that's so hard like (laughs) so I invite anybody if you've got something on your list that's like I don't think learning a language is an announcement that you're you're not good enough that sounds like that's a growth area like you you desire something but if if a resolution is around you know losing weight or getting a new wardrobe or 
any of the knots, like stopping and not doing things, like maybe reassess that and like turn it on its head. How could you pronounce like that? I have enough. I am enough. I'm good enough in what you're resolving to do. And that was like my thing. So I don't know if that's where you're at, folks. We love you. (laughs) You've got this. Wherever you are, in whatever condition we have found you, we love you. Yes, love at you, right at you. And and maybe I'll share one of my New Year's resolutions, which I didn't even realize was really a resolution until yeah. like the middle of January, which was I have so many books in my house that mm-hmm. I haven't read. And so what I've committed to is that I, and this is more of a I'm going to try to. Because then it takes out that sort of failure edge to it. But I'm going to try to read 10 minutes a night. That's it. Like instead of swiping down on Twitter or Pinterest, instead of checking my email again, I'm just going to turn my phone off and get into bed and read for like 10 minutes. And the fact is, the books that I have in my house are amazing. So I end up reading for like 20 or 25 minutes because once I've picked up the book... I don't actually want to stop. This is interesting stuff. I like that. And I've read three books this year. Wow. (laughs) Already. That's awesome. That's so good. Well, and isn't it interesting that just the decision to turn off the phone or the computer, whatever it is, and then just go make a little bit of time for yourself, that has such like far reaching possibilities too. I think the airplane mode setting on my phone is one of my very favorite self-care tools. I like that a lot. Cause yeah, then it's there. You can check the time, but you're not getting all those notifications. Yeah. And I, and I know in my heart that I'm unreachable. It's like it, it doesn't even, ha- and I'm not even that popular. Like I don't actually have my phone ringing off the hook all the time, but just being able to know that my time is mine, that I'm able to fully devote myself to what's in front of me instead of being distracted Mm -hmm. feels really awesome. I like that a lot. It's a a little layer of like protective I love you-ness for yourself. (laughs) It's it's like a little bubble. It's like my own personal cone of silence. I don't know if you ever saw Get Smart on Nick at Night or when you were a kid. I don't know, but it's like the best. I think we're ready for like the the last two questions. Is there anything before we get there that you would like to, you know, anything else coming up that you want to mention or anything else you want to chat about? I don't think so. This has been super fun. (laughs) You're super fun. No, you're delightful, Christy. (laughs) I'm so glad we've met. Me too. Yeah. So if someone listening has a big dream about how they can make a change in the world, what would your advice be on how they could bring that dream into action? I think it's my advice for starting anything, which is baby steps. What is like the smallest unit of something you could do today to take one step towards that dream of bringing change into the world? And then the other piece that I would say is find people who share your dream. Mm-hmm. As Paul and I were talking before we started recording, but so many of my friends are amazing, world-changing, world-rocking individuals, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do in the world without having a really trustworthy circle of like-minded community around me Mm -hmm. who share the vision that I have for 
a kinder and more compassionate and more just future. And so even if it's just talking to your neighbor about like, hey, have you thought about this? Like, what's your take on this? And and be curious. You know, you don't necessarily want to start dropping banners off the roof of your house or anything like that, but start to put it out there and start to find the people who might share that same vision because you'll go farther together. <laughs> yes. Oh, I like that. That's a good little, that's a good one. Yeah. And I think there's something, especially if, if you're, well, maybe in any realm that like that notion that we're not really competing, but that like we're uplifting each other and that we're supporting each other and that, like you just said, we'll go farther together instead of fe- feeling like each of us needs to be separate. Like that's well, we aren't separate. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll go farther together and we'll have more fun on the journey. Mm, yes. Amen. <laughs> As Michelle Ward would say, amen and hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> and we love Michelle. We do. Big love out to Michelle. <laughs> and last and most joyfully, what are three ways you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? I think the way that I find the most joy in my life is simply by getting curious. Again, it goes back to when I was a kid. I choose to be a nerd for my own life. <laughs> I find my own company and the world around me to be a wonder-drenched paradise. <laughs> and and so I just choose to be really curious and to notice. And that is that's brought me a lot of joy, the not knowing and the just wanting to find out. To bring joy into the world be kind and acknowledge one another's humanity. You have no idea what a smile or a $1 tip or a kind word or a compliment might mean to somebody. And acknowledging that they are also a part of this human journey and also doing their best just like you not only will you spread joy in their lives, but it gets reflected back to you in some pretty powerful ways. Those are both delicious. The last one is let it be easy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be such a fight and such a struggle. You could just do the easy thing <laughs> and and let it be easy and let it be, let yourself be in, again, your own sort of zone of genius and making the impact that only you can make. And not letting it be a fight. Yeah, I like that a lot. I don't know. Is it competition? Is it part Pinterest? Is it what that like makes us want it to be the three steps more complicated than what would what would be just fine and beautiful and heartfelt, like whatever it is? Yeah, um. I, I I don't know what it is, but <laughs> for some reason there's a culture around striving mm. that I see and. People think that if it's easy, that they're somehow doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. There's this sort of culture around false humility where people are like, oh, it's so hard. (laughs) Yes. I'm so tired. I'm so busy. I'm like, I feel well rested. Yeah. (laughs) This doesn't, it doesn't have to feel like a battle. Yeah. You could just let it feel great. Mm. I love it. Yes. I think that's a lovely place to wrap this one up. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Christy. It's Thank you been... so, so much for your time and for having me on and Thank you to all your listeners for for tuning in. It's been a total joy. Yes, and likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Christy, for spending a bit of time with me today. I love getting to know you better. And you guys, she's offering a new meditation program, which she calls Hella Meta. Isn't that so awesome? And it's on sale right now. It's a 10-day meditation e-course to cultivate fierce loving kindness. She's excited to offer you guys a discount. So if you use the code JUMPSTART, one word, you'll get 10% off. So thank you so much, Christy. That's awesome. You can find more information at christytending.com slash hellameta. And I will also put that link in the show notes. If you guys liked what you heard today, be sure and go subscribe at iTunes or Stitcher by searching for Jumpstart Your Joy. And of course, if you're already there, You know, I would love if you would leave a positive review. Thank you. (laughs) Next week on the podcast, in honor of hitting the six-month mark of podcasting, I'm totally in awe of that, and to celebrate my my recent entree into the world of solopreneurship, (laughs) I'll be doing a special mid-year tribute episode with lots of fun excerpts, some hilarious outtakes and pre-interview chatter, and a giveaway. Uh, along with suggestions on how to dive into living your own dreams and much, much more. You really don't want to miss episode 26. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.